0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business and politics. Sponsored by AT&T, I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, the rise of the Uber Mafia and what Blue Apron got very, very wrong. But first, what might be the highly exaggerated death of local media? Now, the New York Daily News yesterday made headlines for laying off around half of its newsroom including every single one of its staff photographers. And this happened just hours after it was officially acquired by Trunk, which some of you might know as Tribune Publishing. Now, for anyone who lives in New York City or believes in the value of holding local officials accountable, it was a very depressing development. It even caused the rival New York Post to write, and I quote, we sincerely hope the remaining staff can find a way to turn things around. We want to beat the news, but not like this. Now, on the upside, it does seem that the new owners forgot to change the Daily News' social media account passwords, so there was some pretty good shade thrown, although, sadly, most of that since been deleted, luckily screenshotted by a few people. But the fact that a big city daily is struggling isn't the surprise here. After all, that's something that's been happening since the early days of Monster.com and Craigslist and, and really the Internet, which cannibalized the classified advertising that things like the news used to rely on. But what might surprise you and and definitely surprises me as someone who briefly ran a local paper at the dawn of the Internet age is that you are getting an actual uptick right now in local news all online. There's a trade group and it's called the Local Independent Online News Publishers or Lion, and it reports that its membership has doubled doubled in the past year thanks to both a surge of startups and also some print papers who are finally, belatedly, moving online. Now, I'm still not entirely sold on the business models here, but I'm incredibly grateful that someone's at least trying. So even if you hate the media, when I see plenty of Twitter glee every time a newspaper lays people off, including yesterday with the Daily News, it's worth reading a recent Brookings report. What it said was that local government borrowing costs go up when a local paper shuts down. Basically, the idea is if there's less government oversight, chances are the government's going to screw up more. And that's really what the New York Post was getting at with its editorial yesterday, lamenting the fact that its rival is having troubles. So in 30 seconds, we'll go deeper on all of this with Sarah
1: Fisher, media reporter at Axios. But first this. Picture this. You're the CEO of a multinational corporation, and you realize that nearly half of your 254,000 employees, many of whom are your friends and neighbors, have jobs that will be obsolete by 2020. That's exactly what happened at AT AT&T a few years ago, and it's what inspired them to find a way forward with the biggest job reskilling investment in modern American history. Future Ready is AT&T's $1 billion web-based learning initiative designed to teach existing employees the skills necessary to compete in a software-driven world. Stick around and we'll tell you how it's going.
0: We're joined by Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios, who wrote about local news this morning in her Media Trends newsletter. So, hi Sarah, are we seeing an actual rebirth of local news?
2: A different kind of rebirth. Look, it's never going to replace the hundreds of journalists that have been laid off from newspaper cuts over the past few years. But it's different. You have people in local communities who want to make sure that their communities are up to date on news and information that's important to them, who are starting hyper-local sites, sites for sports, general news, city news. And those sites are multiplying. I've talked to people who said that there's hundreds that we might not even know about. From what you
0: can tell, are these professional sites? So I think I live in a small town, right, with like- 9,000 people. And we do have a hyper local news site here. It's run by a woman, but I'm 99% sure she has a day job which has nothing to do with journalism. It keeps track of what's happening with the sports teams, but you wouldn't consider it necessarily a professional sort of site.
2: No, in many cases you wouldn't. It's exactly as you said. People who are doing this in their own time, people who are trying to fill that news void but might not necessarily have the resources to do it full time. Still, it's an interesting trend. Normally when you take a look at some of the newspapers, they're so big that before the internet, they couldn't give that really hyper-local coverage, that coverage by the actual town or bureau. Now you can.
0: Can you turn a hyper-local news site, and whether it's a niche site that's going to focus on sports or whether it's going to focus on a town or even a region, from your perspective, can that be an Actual sustainable business in this environment, online only, forget the paper, can it be a real business?
2: In order for it to be a real business, almost always you would have to have someone come in with heavy pockets and start to finance it. I take a look at what Chance the Rapper is doing in Chicago with The Chicagoist.
0: What is that? What's The Chicagoist?
2: The Chicagoist is a hyper-local news site for news and information in the city of Chicago. It covers things like sports, dining, culture, crime, etc. And Chance the Rapper announced just a few days ago that he's going to come in and buy it. So you do have some people who are coming in and trying to back some of the hyper local sites. But without that financial backing, the advertising model today, even online, it's probably just not going to be sustainable enough to support a local news site if it wants to sustainably grow.
0: And I'm pretty sure my town does not have a successful rapper in it. I I could be wrong. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I guess there's two sides, obviously, of a local media business, which is the producer and the consumer. Is there an audience for this stuff? You know, as we become more national and, and all of our media consumption, we learn so much more. Is there still active interest in what's happening locally?
2: Absolutely. And there are particular things that you wouldn't be able to get from a national outlet that you need to know. I think about things like traffic and weather. I think about things like school boards and education. Those are things that people do want to hear about, but they're just not getting it from their broader regional papers, the ones that have survived. So there is definitely interest and thirst in some of these hyperlocal sites. It's just whether or not they're going to be able to, quite frankly, sustain a positive growth model.
0: I'm curious, do you think, is there any future left for actual print local newspapers. You know, I know historically somebody once told me that the value of having, you know, the local weekly was always that even if it had nothing else, it always had the school lunch menu and people couldn't get that anywhere else. But now you can. You can get that product from the school's website. So is there still a future for these things as physical products?
2: Not for long. Look, even the New York Times says that within 10 years, it's not going to print its paper. And it's not because the journalism isn't valuable, but it is, as you said, people can access that information elsewhere online. What will be a telling future for some of these papers is how well they convert their sites to digital? And are they able to sustain their audiences with it? That will be what determines whether or not some of these big regional papers survive.
0: Sarah, you wrote this morning at Axios that these sites are sometimes, the news sites are sometimes hard to track. You know, and you compare that, say, to something like the Daily News, which used to have printing presses and a huge headquarters and, you know, just a lot of physical assets. It was easy to figure out what there was and what there wasn't. Can you talk a little bit about tracking it? And in the sense, is the news void, the local news void, as big as some of us seem to think it is?
2: Well, that's why I published this morning's piece, because it might not be as big as we think it is because there are so many of these hyperlocal sites. But as you mentioned, they're really hard to track. If you You're opening up a paper. You have the printing press. You have the trucks. You often have a payment transaction if there's a subscription. So they leave a large mark. With some of these digital sites that are only meant to serve maybe a couple hundred or thousand people in one small demographic market area, you would have no idea that they would even exist. And that even pertains to some of the trade associations that are meant to cover these sites. So it might mean that the local news void isn't as bad. We just can't measure it at this point.
0: Sarah, finally, let's talk about the Daily News specifically and and all the mess that happened there, yesterday. Is this just the beginning of the end and it's a slow bleed? Or could you envision that Tronc or Tribune Publishing, whatever you want to call it, is going to somehow revive this paper, maybe as a smaller version, but is going to keep that brand sustainable?
2: In the short term, yes, they'll keep the brand sustainable. I think that they will have to do more with less, as many newsrooms around the country have done. But in the long term, print is dying. And that's not just something that naysayers or critics of the medium will argue. It's something that people who have advocated for it, who made their livelihoods on it, are really conceding now. So I think that in the case of Trunk, they're going through some very specific problems pertaining to financing and business strategy. But what's affecting them is affecting many local regional papers, which is just that print is no longer a lucrative medium. Thank
0: you, Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios. And I guess the bottom line here is there's not necessarily kind of a silver lining to this cloud, but maybe a copper one for some of these local news sites in the end. My final two is coming up in 30 seconds.
1: Okay, here's where AT&T's Future Ready program stands. Around 140,000 employees are currently retraining for jobs of the future. People like Jim, a grandfather of five, are learning competitive skills like Scrum, Now, more than half of AT&T's technology management jobs are filled by retrained employees. It matters because 90% of maturing companies expect digital disruption, but less than half of them are preparing for it. AT&T is different. With one of the largest workforces in the world, AT&T wants the best in people, not machines or algorithms, to lead the way. And now it's time for my final
0: two. And the first up is the rise of the Uber Mafia. No, I don't mean an actual crime syndicate here, and and I understand you might be mistaken given all of Uber's troubles, but rather this is a group of former Uber employees who are seeking to invest in other former Uber employees who are creating new startups, kind of like what we saw years ago from PayPal. And this thing is called Move Capital. And the bet here is that Uber's culture, despite that deservedly rotten reputation, did have a knack for giving its executives a lot of autonomy and freedom to experiment with new things, which is often what helps create new startup founders. Why this is important is that we've seen a lot of big, successful tech companies not create new companies out of them, which is really what keeps the startup ecosystem cycling through. Uber here could be the exception. And finally, Chick-fil-A announced yesterday that it's launching its own cook-at-home meal kit service, basically its version of Blue Apron, and it is a big headache for Blue Apron, whose stock has been pummeled since going public last year. Now, last week I ran into its new CEO, Brad Dickerson, to ask how the meal kit company had gone so wrong so fast. His answer? We were a consumer business pretending to be a technology business. And he's right. And it's something we've seen lots of other consumer companies do, including, say, mattress spaces and some actual food companies that sell into grocery stores. The only question now for Blue Apron is if it can fend off new rivals like Chick-fil-A, which never thought of itself as a tech business in the first place. And we're done. Be sure to follow us all day at Axios.com and sign up for my pro rata email newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great national drive-thru day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast.